You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Lions 24-7 podcast. We are nine days away from the kickoff of the 2022 Penn State football season. Preseason camp coming to a close. The first game week just about to begin. Kind of a strange game week with that Thursday night looming for kickoff. Uh, we're here to talk about that and much more in just a moment. You'll hear from my colleagues at Lions 24-7, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen. Uh, long look at practice on Saturday. Uh, it was something that, that was presented to us uh, on the media beat on Friday afternoon. I already had something locked in uh, for family plans, so I, I was obligated to do that on Saturday. But these guys were out there. So was Grace Brennan. Uh, photo gallery up on the site, a bunch of notes coming from the practice field. We'll touch on that a bit, but we're going to really redirect our focus this episode towards the Penn State offense get a good feel for what things look like, what our biggest questions are, where we think things have made improvements ahead of kickoff. Our next episode later this week, we'll shift gears, go over to the defensive side of the football, work our way through that unit, which is under new leadership with Manny Diaz. And in just a little while here on this episode, we'll circle back to some recruiting context, uh, get into it a bit with Tyler Calvaruzzo. We've got some uh, action underway for prospects across the country as high school football starts to resume. Uh, some things happening on the recruiting trail for Penn State as a 2023 class starts to heat up a little bit again uh, as they look to put the finishing touches on between now and this winter. But let's get into it right here with Mark and Daniel back on the Lions 24-7 podcast because we got a lot to get into. We are just about to get into our first game week, guys. Preseason camp has been the focus for this whole month, really. And and, and now here we are in the final you know, few few days of this. And, and Mark, just before we, we sat down to record, um, I, I had a chance to, to circle through and, and look back at all three of the uh, VIP content pieces you put up in the last week or so, one on the defense, one on the offensive line, and then another that you posted uh, Monday evening about really the rest of the offense and, and, and some things that are working their way uh, to fruition at this stage. What stands out to you now that you've kind of got those out of your system onto, onto our website about where this Penn State team is very close to Purdue? Yeah, I think we'll stick with the offense in this one because I, I think we're going to talk about defense maybe a little bit later in the week. But, you know, offensively, without giving away all the VIP notes, I think it, it, this isn't necessarily uh, breaking news, but they're absolutely loaded at the skill positions. So it's really going to come down to uh, how does that offensive line perform? You know, are they able to finally reach the level that that we've been thinking they have the capability to reach for the last uh, however many years? It looks like the depth is better now. Uh, it, it looks like um, if somebody gets banged up that they'll be in a decent position to, to, to maybe plug somebody in, which maybe wasn't the case the last couple of years. 
but overall, I just think, you know, as James Franklin said, it's time for this group to prove itself. We can talk about it all we want in the preseason, but until it proves itself, we're not really going to know. And then I think the other thing, obviously, is Sean Clifford. You know, they're very happy with the depth they have behind Sean Clifford at this point. Um, but listen, if he doesn't put up in the first couple of games, they're going to have a very difficult decision to make because you have a 15th year senior and, a, you know, eighth year team captain. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but a guy who's done a lot for the program. But listen, you know, they're coming off six losses in eight games and you have a tough opening schedule with three road games or with two road games uh, against power five teams, one a conference opponent. And if you're not able to survive that, you know, at least two and one and ideally three and oh, then I think they have to take a hard look at some things. Yeah. And I, look, Sean Clifford, we've all known him for a while now covering this program, um, even before he got to the program. And he's a guy that that we're very curious to see what year six looks like. Year four is a starter. Year four is a team captain. Um, and to your point, I mean, is he going to kind of rewrite the narrative on, on on what he is as a Penn State quarterback to this point? There's a really good chance because of this bonus year that he's going to end up if he stays healthy, if he stays a starting quarterback. He's going to end up in possession of some significant Penn State records, career records. And I still think the win-loss record, though, is the one that people are going to judge a quarterback on a lot of the way. And, of course, we remember he starts off 8-0 as a starting quarterback as a redshirt sophomore. You're thinking, where, where could this team go? And since then, they've, they've been a 500 squad. And, and we saw you know, Sean Clifford obviously briefly get benched along the way, get his job back. Now he's got some young quarterbacks who are six years younger with the, than him that everybody wants to talk about. And so, Daniel, you've covered Sean obviously a bit less. Uh, you know, I, I've been covering him since I think his junior year of high school. I know Mark's been covering at least since he showed up as a freshman here at Penn State. This is year two for you, but it's kind of the same narrative that we talked about last year with the, with the new offensive coordinator. Now it's the second year offensive coordinator. This marriage between Mike Yersich and Sean Clifford, a lot of eggs in that basket for James Franklin. Yeah, I think it was interesting talking to Sean last week about, all right, what's going to be different in year two instead of year one? Uh, and the one thing that he came back to a lot was the communication aspect of it, that that is where he feels like the offense has made strides, whether it's with the wide receivers, with its with the offensive line. And I think that's what you kind of want to see at this point from that kind of 60 year senior, someone where the improvements are coming kind of in, in that area that can be a little bit more intangible uh, that can still lead to, to those results on the field. But you know, I think it is very similar to kind of what Mark said about what James Franklin has said about the offensive line, that until we see something different, um, we're kind of, you know, keeping those expectations in check. We kind of, you know, with Clifford, we kind of know what he is at this point. Is there a leap there? Maybe. But if you're putting all the all those eggs in that basket, you might be disappointed. But I think with this supporting cast, we could see, you know, a little bit of some steps forward uh, from Clifford this fall. Yeah, here's the other thing I would say, and I, I apologize to Lance. I didn't have my headphones on, so I think we got some feedback there. But you see how I definitely... You know, mid-podcast adjusted to, you know, even an old guy can figure out the technology. So I apologize, Lance. But, you know, one of the real keys with Clifford is you look at his completion percentage over the last three seasons. His three seasons as a starter, 60, 60, 60. I mean, not exactly 60, but right in that area. So that's who he is. I mean, if anybody's expecting that to change this year, I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, the thing he has to do is cut down on the turnovers. 
you know, I, I noted uh, in, in a VIP thread that he has uh, 200 fewer attempts than Trace McSorley passing attempts, but the same number of interceptions in his career. And both guys were 60% passers. What is the thing that could differentiate Sean Clifford this year from Sean Clifford last year? I think it's being able to move him around. We've talked about it here on the podcast. We've, we've written it on the site. Uh, you're not expecting Michael Vick, but he has, to be, he has to be able to keep opposing defenses honest. And once he got banged up in the Iowa game last year, he couldn't do that. Why? Because he was hurt, number one. And number two, they were afraid that they didn't have somebody who was capable behind him because they didn't at that point. Now, we could argue that maybe Christian Veyu might have been ready earlier, but I never have a problem with a coaching staff erring on the side of playing a true freshman too late as opposed to too early. So they knew Taquan Roberson. He went into the Iowa game. It was a disaster. They weren't going to be able to win without with him. So they had to be really careful with Sean Clifford, and I don't think they have to do that this year. I think the level of confidence in Veyu, he's won you a Big Ten game. I know it was only against Rutgers, Tyler. Not a big deal, but seriously, it was a big deal. You go in there, and you're able to – and he just didn't manage that game. I mean, he went in there and did, did some good stuff. Did some not-so-great so stuff, but he did some good stuff as well. So this is a guy who's played, and I think the level of confidence in the true freshman, being able to get these guys in – uh, during uh, during spring, in the second year under Yursich, being able to learn from Clifford, and that's the one thing I think is really underrated with Clifford. We could talk about him all, all you want about whether you know is he going to be the start of the whole year? What does he have to prove? I think he's done a fantastic job of being a leader in that room, uh, of helping the young guys learn and helping them come along. So listen, if you're a Penn State fan, you're knocking on wood that Clifford stays healthy and that he plays well in the first couple of games. But if he doesn't, I think that's one of the big storylines of preseason camp. Uh, I'm not saying that they'll pull the plug immediately. They're going to give him some time. But I think one of the big storylines of camp is that they're much more comfortable because you need to be comfortable in your backups. We, we see what happens when you're not. I mean, 2020 was a disaster. COVID, they weren't sure how to juggle the quarterbacks. That backfired. I give them a little bit of a pass last year just because of the situation they were in with Levis leaving. Uh, but this year, there's no excuses. I mean, they have to be able to get the job done. Look, the, this quarterback room, the story of it has been Sean Clifford won the starting job and everybody else has just left. I mean, as as years have gone on, Sean, Sean got that job because Tommy transferred out. Tommy Stevens transferred out, decided to seek a new start. It's a fresh start. He wasn't fully healthy that spring. He hit the reset button in his career, ends up at Mississippi State. Will Levis is a year younger. He's a redshirt freshman at the time. Obviously, we know that that he got some opportunities along the way, but Will Levis ends up leaving, now off to a, a strong strong run in the SEC. And along the way, you lost guys who maybe you didn't hit on as recruits with Michael Johnson Jr. and Taquan Roberson and Micah Bowens. I don't necessarily see those guys resurfacing and and becoming big-time college football quarterbacks that, that you feel Penn State you know mishandled, but – there were some recruiting misses along the way, and 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 thus you were left with, with a bit of a shallow room there, especially last year, as we talked about at length. And you know, Christian Veyu coming off a year in which he didn't play senior high school football, there was a lot of catching up to do in that department. And and look, that's last year. This is this year. And I think to your point is we're talking about how much stronger the quarterback room is, and you feel like you've got better commodities. You certainly feel like the talent 
the pool is at a, a much higher level than it's been. So where is that sweet spot on the calendar where you have an opportunity to reassess? And I think that's the tricky part for Penn State because of the first, you know, two out of these first three games, you're on the road in what's going to be a tough environment. And you think about Sean Clifford with those 33 career starts and where James Franklin's head is usually at with, with, with any kind of talk of making a quarterback change wouldn't be well situated. You'd imagine those first few games. Now, you got this matchup in week two, to me, is very important against Ohio. I hate to do this in advance, but this should be an opportunity to see what some other quarterbacks can do against live action defenses. And I don't know if there's necessarily going to be a spot like that for Penn State in September. Central Michigan, I think a lot of folks don't realize they won nine games last year. A lot of people don't realize that former Florida Gators head coach Jim McElwain is now their head coach. And that takes you into October 1st, which is Northwestern coming to town against Beaver Stadium, and you're off in Big Ten play. You've got a bye week in between that matchup against Northwestern and a trip to Ann Arbor, Michigan on October 15th. So to me, if Clifford's healthy and this offense struggles, yeah, you got to recalibrate and you got to take a look. But I, I wonder along the way, will they will they take the time to get an assessment of their other quarterbacks in game action? And, and that's looking at a worst-case scenario. But I think even best-case scenario, if Clifford's doing well – you want to get other quarterbacks involved over the course of September. Um, but man, I, I'll just tell you, this schedule does not situate. It's, it does not set up well for Penn state to, to make some kind of, if you can ever call it easy, some kind of transition during the first quarter of the season, first third of the season. And I know a lot of people, if it's not going well for the, for the first quarter or third of the season, that means Sean Clifford's pushing towards 40 career starts. And that means people are saying, we know who number 14 is. What about this number nine? What about this number 15? What about this number 11? What else can we get at quarterback? And could they maybe elevate the weapons around us? We're having that conversation in late September, mid-September. It's a problem for Penn State. If we kind of forget about this conversation, that means Sean Clifford's rolling, and that means the Nittany Lions are likely playing very well. Yeah, we're going to know soon. I mean, and that's the beauty of it. Listen, people can say, oh, I don't believe they would make a change. Uh, they should make a change. They should, wh whatever. Within the first few games, we're going to know. And I think tonight when we get a chance, we're, we're, as we tape this on Tuesday, I think tonight um, James Franklin's going to be available. Tyler, I think you should ask him. In, that, in week two, do you hope to get all of your quarterbacks maybe a little playing time so you could see yeah. see what they look like and see see how he responds? But no, nah, you, your point is well taken. In all seriousness, that it, while it's going to be difficult for the team, for those of us who cover the team and fans who watch the team, we are going to learn a lot, an awful lot in those first couple games. There are going to be, there are not going to be a lot of question marks. Uh, if there are question marks, they're going to have decisions to make. Let's put it that way. So we're going to have a pretty good feel what this team's all about after three weeks. But guys, let me just say the best thing that I saw last year when Sean Clifford was, was playing well at a high level and this team was unbeaten through September and you felt like this is the kind of comeback underdog story that 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 Sean Clifford's dreams are made of. And of course, it got derailed out in Iowa City. While that was happening, though, the biggest tell for me that Sean Clifford was a different quarterback was his eyes downfield. And, and that's when the pressure came. That was when he was scrambling outside the pocket. He was a guy who didn't just go for the five yard gain. He bought some time. And he would get a 20-yard pickup through the air because of what, what the defense would do in drawing up. And, and to me, that happened after he started taking shots and getting hurt. That started, that, that started happening when Penn State clearly couldn't generate a ground game. And to me, if you've got a quarterback in Sean Clifford, look, we think maybe the ceiling is higher than what it's been. But to me, the, the ceiling for Sean Clifford is still not a quarterback 
who spearheads you to a national championship or to a Big Ten championship. I, he needs the help around him, and that, to me, starts with the guys up front. And, and let's go with the blindside situation because Rasheed Walker has been the man at left tackle except for late last season when he was sidelined uh, throughout Sean Clifford's career. And you can make a case that Rasheed Walker played his best football during Sean Clifford's first year as a starter here at Penn State. Daniel, you've spent some time focused in on Olu Fashano, and it sure seems like within the facilities, and now that we've gotten a chance to kind of wrap our heads around him and this offensive line, uh, not anticipating some sort of drop-off. And, and quite frankly, there may be a, an inkling of, of, of optimism that Olu Fashano could be an upgrade at left tackle, which I think speaks volumes about where this offensive line may be able to go. The big thing that Phil Troutline talked about when we spoke to him, uh, I guess a couple weeks ago at this point, was he talked about the bowl game. Um, I think coming out of the Outback Bowl, there wasn't a whole lot to really feel good about uh, outside of you know Jair Brown, two interceptions, uh, a couple performances here and there. But I think one of the big takeaways was that we saw Olu Fashanu hold up against an SEC front. And Phil Troutline said that those 15 bowl practices that they had were really, really big for him, that he got a lot of reps, he got a lot of confidence, and then that carried over into the spring where, because of the depth issues up front, um, he got more work. Um, and I think James Franklin pointed it out, too, that Olu, Juice Scruggs, and Caden Wallace were the three guys who made it through spring healthy, that they got the full complement of reps. They didn't have to watch from the sideline much. And I think that that has kind of carried over um, into this into this preseason camp. You, you look at Olu physically. I mean, he's he's massive. I think that he is kind of what you want on the blind side. Uh, he appears to have the length that you want. And he appears to have the athleticism. And I think that, like you said, I think there is a reason for optimism. Uh, I think that this offensive line is going to look a lot different. Um, I think including Juice Scruggs moving, there's going to be four new starters up front. Uh, Caden Wallace is the only one who will be returning to the spot that he was in week one uh, a year ago. So it's going to be a little bit different, but I think physically it's going to be an imposing group. Uh, there's going to be a little bit of inexperience uh, depending on how those guard spots shake out. And even if Hunter Norzad wins a starting job, he's still making the leap from the Ivy League to Big Ten football. So maybe the the types of mistakes might look a little bit different uh, early on, but I think physically all of the pieces are going to be there. Landon Tangwall, Sal Wormley mentioned Drew Scruggs earlier. I think the pieces are there in front of Sean Clifford. It's just whether there's uh, kind of that cohesion uh, and whether they're ready uh, at Purdue week one hostile environment against a defense that can do some things here and there. Yeah, I think when things it. when things went south with the offensive line last year, um, it, it happened really when Clifford got hurt and and the defenses were really able to pin their ears back and just zero on zero in on, on rushing him and, and beating him up. And you saw the level of frustration out there. I mean, and and that was one thing I wrote this after the Iowa game. You know, Roberson was struggling, and, and he couldn't even get the snap count out. I mean, they had all those offside penalties or delay penalties or whatever the heck they were. And you had veteran offensive linemen out there throwing their hands up. And to me, that was a major issue. L listen, I I'm not defending Taquan Roberson for being unable to, to, to produce there because he, he was on scholarship. He was a college quarterback. But that was a difficult situation. And that's where they needed leadership 
to to kind of say, hey, listen, this is going to be okay. You didn't need guys showing showing their frustration. And I think to to me, that's the key with that offensive line. You know, for, from from what we're getting, you know, Juice Scruggs was a relatively new starter last year. But I think as the season went along, you heard more and more and more about him being the leader of that offensive line, more so than Miranda, which I'm not sure what happened there, and more more so than Rasheed Walker. And, you know, when I look at Rasheed Walker, listen, he's a pro now, you know, so we don't have to approach anything with kid gloves. But you looked at two guys last year in the preseason who were showing up on NFL mock drafts in the first round. And one was Jahan Dotson and one was Rasheed Walker. And what did Jahan Dotson do? Paid no attention to it, went out, performed, <laughs> did everything he could do. Rasheed Walker sure looked like a guy who maybe, you know, w- w- was looking at those things because even before he was injured, he was not playing at nearly the level that he needed to be playing at. So two quick things. I think Olu Fashanu, what you hear about him, it's just the attitude, the positive attitude, you know, beyond the physical skills. He's a huge human being, like just a big guy, athletic, uh, was banged up last year. Uh, and I think had he been healthy all year, they may have been, they may have been able to maybe send a, a message to Rasheed Walker earlier. But and then the other part is leadership. I think, you know, it, it just they need leadership on that offensive line. I think the talent is there. Uh, I'm not saying it's the, it's going to be the best offensive line, but they have the talent to be a productive offensive line. But they need leadership, and I think that could come from Juice. And Juice Scruggs named one of those team captains that, that coming down last week. But Jair Walker Brown. was last year. Walker was a yeah. captain last year. So you yeah. know what? They don't always make the, the, the best decisions. Is they it, 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 Back during the Joe Paterno era, uh, they always used to say the players voted for captains, but Paterno counted the votes. And I just really wonder last year how Rasheed Walker became a captain. And again, listen, God bless him. I hope he does well in the NFL. Uh, You know, he had a tough break with the injury and ended up not getting drafted till real late. And when he eventually plays for the Packers, I'll be his biggest fan. But to me, that could be an, an instance of addition by subtraction. And this is an offensive line. If you wanted to see a jolt of new blood, yes, it's still Phil Troutwine leading the way. I know a lot of people, year three for him, they want to see obvious step forward from that unit. But you're getting that fresh blood uh, in the form of a transfer from the Ivy League. We know we've heard that before. Hunter Norzad, I think, profiles a bit differently moving to Penn State than did Eric Wilson. And then additionally, Landon Tangwall, one of the big fish of the Franklin era in terms of offensive line recruiting, I know putting a, a lot on him as a redshirt freshman to step up and, and kind of help take this the next step forward. And he's got to win the job officially still. But between him, Sal Wormley, who's been out of sight, out of mind for some time, I think he's a guy who maybe we're underrating a, a, for a mental for a nastiness. Daniel wrote a bit about that, uh, this kind of something that that's ingrained in his DNA. So look, I know a lot of people, when they think about this Penn State offensive line, they get flashbacks to what we saw over and over last year. Uh, a lot of those guys are no longer with the program and for better or for worse, we're going to learn a lot about who Phil Troutwine is as a cultivator of talent and as a leader of young men, because this is a very different looking group with different personalities. And Phil Troutwine has a job to do. He's got some additional help there with good sounding board. Uh, and, and Frank Leonard, who's doing more than hearing, he's obviously given some back as we've addressed here, but the offensive line under a lot of pressure. And let's face it, 
uh, in tandem with that group is this running back room that looks quite a bit different in its own right than last year. They began preseason camp with five former top 24-7 prospects. They're going to finish it with four of them because Keziah Holmes hit the transfer portal in a move that indicates exactly what we have been reporting at Lions 24-7, that the two freshman running back, Nick Singleton, 24-7 sports, number one prospect at the position, and then Katron Allen, who spent the last few years as a lead back at IMG Academy, have come and taken the ball and run with it since they showed up on uh, in January spring ball and now we're through preseason camp nothing leads you to believe that these guys have run out of steam got Kevon lee as a junior devin ford as a senior but guys i have no reason to go off something i said i think back in may i think nick singleton's gonna end up leading this team in rushing yards and now i'm to the point where i wonder if if we may not see a couple freshmen by the time we get into the bulk of big 10 work as the first two guys involved um, and, and part of me wants to say, well, if Kevon Lee is listening and and reading all the stuff that we're putting out there, this should be a very motivated junior who has about a thousand career rushing yards. But man, that's an impressive duo that they have on board here. I think the big thing with Singleton, when you look at his skill set and what we've heard, the speed is something that that comes through um, that guys talk about that that kind of makes its way out of those practices. And I think Singleton has the skill set that where if something goes wrong on the offensive line, he can make something happen. He can kind of, I think we saw it a lot when Saquon Barkley was at Penn state where someone gets through the line, Saquon can make them miss and then he's gone. Um, I think that Penn state was really missing that last year Um, with the running game. It was sort of like they didn't have the running back that could elevate the offensive line. And they didn't have the offensive line that could elevate the running back and that's not a good combination uh, in in Big Ten play. So I think Singleton is someone who can kind of make something out of nothing. Um, Obviously, you don't want that to be happening more times than not. And that's something that a lot of people are going to be looking at that offensive line for. But that's something that really stands out to me. And I am really excited to see Katron Allen uh, in action. Um, I think that he's someone that we've heard that he's very well prepared. He kind of knew what he was coming into at the college game because of his time at IMG. Um, and he kind of and his skill set is just different uh, than what Nick Singleton has. M- might be a little bit more similar to Kevon Lee, but I'm just really intrigued as to what uh, Katron Allen can do. Also, doesn't hurt uh, that I want to see a, a running back nick- nicknamed Fat Man um, out on the field, but. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this rotation shakes out. Jaylon Sider told me on media day that three is the max uh, for a rotation, um, that you can't really get beyond that. Um, and they like to talk about the hot hand, but it seems like that this could be the over the course of the season. A couple hands are hotter than others, and we'll see if they if they really stick to that based on this talent. Yeah, one thing, uh, you know, both guys, from what we understand, uh, can block pretty well for true freshmen. And, you know, that's really one of the most difficult things to do. You know, it's kind of pointed out to me that if you look at them, and, and, it, and it makes complete sense, they're both 215, 220-pound guys. So physically, they have the tools to do it. I think the other thing about Singleton that really stuck out to me at practice. And Daniel, I think you were over watching the, uh, the offense, offensive line, defensive line, one versus one. Uh, but they did some passing work, and Singleton did a little quick out and then down the sideline. It wasn't that wheel route that we used to always see from Saquon, but when I saw him running behind Tyler Elston and uh, Bo Prabula 
dumping a pass like right into his arms and it's like whoa and he catches it and he had to hold up a little bit to catch it and then elsden was right there and then boom he was gone and it's yeah. like wow you know this is what we haven't seen and that was one of the cool things about getting to see an extended portion of practice is that those are the things that hey it's one thing to rely on you know, kind of keeping our ears to the ground and seeing see, see, or hearing what's coming out of practice. But to be able to see that sort of thing, you know, a true freshman against a young linebacker, but one of their better linebackers, you know, just it wasn't even, a, a, a you know, it wasn't even a competition uh, that it's like, wow, OK, uh, yeah, now I get it. Now I get it. I think there's sometimes frustrations uh, when you don't see that star freshmen show up in games and you're getting a veteran who maybe doesn't have that complete skill set and people are kind of eyeing up Kevon Lee in a similar light. I'm, I'm curious to see again, how he responds. Jay Wan Slater has been very public really throughout his college career, initially saying he was an athlete learning how to play running back and kind of put Kazai Holmes and him in, in the same conversation there because neither of them were supposed to play much as true freshmen. Now here he is as a junior. He's handled a lot of work. He didn't take that step last year. You can wonder if the Penn State staff did everything they could to help him with that in terms of game flow and getting involved on a consistent basis. But really quickly, you know, it may be getting uh, late early for, for Kevon Lee and his quest to become that primary back for Penn State. And, you know, Devin Ford, is he going to have some kind of role for himself? Daniel talked about it. You know, three running backs involved. They seem to have a lot of trust in Devin Ford that we've heard a lot of things about his veteran presence. Is that going to translate into a bigger role? He was very much an afterthought in the offensive game plan last year. And then let's go over to the wide receiver and tight end positions because you look across the board, a lot of blue chip talent. Tight end coming off a very quiet year. The stat sheet's not pretty across the board. Uh, you, you saw kind of a split at tight end uh, in terms of the starter reps with, with Theo Johnson and, and Brenton Strange and Tyler Warren then coming on strong as the next man there. This wasn't a, a big primary share of, of everything like we saw for Pat Frymuth and before him for Mike Isicki. I think our expectations are we're going to see that volume continue to be shared, but will that volume increase? Because it just didn't seem to be where it needed to be in 2021 when you talk about the talent in this room. And again, this is another position coach, Ty Howell, a lot of folks want to know what he's about and what he can do to rebound. Yeah, I think it's more in the offensive coordinator. I mean, I think Mike Yersich, you have these three weapons, you got to figure out how to use them. You know, I don't care what your reputation is, you know, and I'm not questioning his reputation, but listen, the best coaches work with the talent they have. You don't try to you don't try to, you know, fit the talent into your scheme, especially at the college level. That's that, that's unsustainable. I mean, you if you have three NFL caliber tight ends and they think that these guys are all NFL caliber tight ends in uh Theo Johnson, Brenton Strange and Tyler Warren, you need to find a way to use them. Now, in your such as defense, you know, Brenton Strange had some issues last year in dropping dropping balls. But there is more than enough talent there, and I think they—I think it's on Yurcich. I don't think it's on Ty Howe. I mean, I think Yurcich has to—he's—he's he's the guy calling the plays. He's got to figure out how to get these guys involved because they're all big, they're all athletic, and you know when you look at Tyler Warren, you know one of the more versatile players on the team. You know, outstanding, a very good blocker. I don't want to say outstanding. Uh, you know, can even pass the ball. He's a former high school quarterback. So you have three guys that you have to figure out how to use them. And to me, that's on the offensive coordinator. That's not on anybody else but Mike Yersich. I think Tyler Warren is, is the player that we're going to want to watch a lot uh, this year based on what we saw out of him as a blocker. He has that kind of – he showed off that the physical side and that, and that short yardage uh, 
package last year. And then at the same time, he's still really new to this position. He redshirted, redshirt freshman last year, his first real game action as a tight end. Now he'll be three years into that switch from being that very athletic high school quarterback down in Virginia. Uh, and I think I'm curious as to where he is in that development um, because that can that can change the dynamic a little bit. That might be able to give them a little bit more flexibility with the personnel. Um, and But yeah, I think Warren is someone I'm really curious to see. And then I just really want to see what Theo Johnson can do as a wide rec- as a receiver um, in this system. And I think kind of like what Mark said, that goes back to the offensive coordinator. Are they going to call plays for these guys? Are they going to do what they can to get the ball in their hands and let them make plays? Because at various points last year, they all showed that they could do it. It just wasn't on a consistent basis. And for as curious I am to see if Theo Johnson's going to you know, pluck the ball down and, and, and rumble 30 yards, I'm also curious if we're going to see Nick Singleton running behind these guys and, and see them bowl over a linebacker and help them. That just did not show up. And overall, just uh, I know they had big shoes to fill with Pat Fryermuth, who went to the NFL and showed exactly who he is as a tight end prospect. But man, it just it, it was another area of this offense that that just didn't come close to meeting expectations that we had going into the 2021 season. And you start to piece it together and say, well, this didn't meet expectations. This didn't. If those things can 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 collectively rise, or it, it just you think about the way this offense could get ignited and, and the and the areas on the field that just didn't have a spark last year in the offensive backfield in that tight end room consistently. If that can change, uh, again, Sean Clifford not lacking for weapons. And, l- and let's wrap it up because he lost his favorite target in Jahan Dotson here. But as it has been stated by James Franklin, Taylor Stubblefield, by us on the podcast, there is a sense that this from top to bottom, as you work your way through the rotation of receivers who are going to see game action, it is as deep of a group as they, as they have had in, in the last few years. So, um, fellas, what do you think? Is Parker Washington – going to be a a, a, a a kind of a singular 1A kind of guy? Or do you see it maybe being a little bit more spread around than people anticipate? I think there's a lot of folks saying Jahan, Do- Jahan Dotson's numbers are going to go to Parker Washington in some way, shape, or form. And then you're going to th- see things scattered. In my mind, I think you'll probably see three receivers collectively produce as much as they've had three receivers produce in four or five, six years. Yeah, I think when you look at the way that this depth chart sets up, obviously losing Jahan Dotson is big, and I don't think you can replace him with one guy. But I think the way that things are setting up, Penn State isn't going to have to worry about that. Last year, you look at how things shook out. They really only went three deep. Uh, It was Jahan Dotson, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith. Those were the main guys. They got pretty much all of the production uh, out of wide receivers. Um, this year you take out Jahan Dotson, you put in Mitchell Tinsley, and then things are set up for Malik Mega uh, and I think Trey Wallace, the redshirt freshman from Alabama, to make those jumps, to really factor in there. And then you can't count out a guy like Caden Saunders, uh, who was a top 24-7 recruit coming out of high school in Ohio. So I think that the depth is a little bit better. Uh, I think it's you know maybe you lower the ceiling on the wide receiver group without a guy like Dotson but you raise the floor uh, by adding in a Mitchell Tinsley, having Caden Saunders, uh, and then hoping that Malik Mega, Trey Wallace can uh, continue that development. So I feel good about this wide receiver group. It's going to be different. Um, you know, Sean Clifford might end up with the same numbers he did a year ago, but I think his pathway to getting there is going to be a lot different. But I mean, I think by the end of the year, I really do think 
Parker Washington and, and Mitchell Tinsley can be regarded as one of the best wide receiver combos in the Big Ten, maybe nationally. Uh, you know, we saw what Parker Washington could do. Uh, he can make those tough catches. He can bail out his quarterback. He can make things happen after the catch. Uh, and then Mitchell Tinsley is facing that step up in competition, but he proved a lot at Western Kentucky last year. He showed what he can do, that he can do just about anything. So I am excited to see this group. Obviously, it goes back to can the quarterback get them the ball on a consistent basis, which kind of goes back to that offensive line. It's all connected, but I really do like where Penn State is right now uh, with the pass catchers. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Trey Wallace and Malik Mega. I mean, Wallace is a guy who traveled to every game, every road game last year, even though he wasn't playing. So that tells you what they think about him. And Malik Mega, you know, we've talked about this on a previous podcast. Guy has just unbelievable, ridiculous skills. He's, what, 6'4", 210, something like that. Uh, they're actually looking at him as one of the gunners. I mean, that's how athletic he is on the punt team. Uh, and that's how raw he is. Uh, but he's a guy who played his high school ball in Canada, you know, was a bit of a transition. And then obviously last year was bumped up and, and wasn't really fully healthy till late in the year. We saw a quick glimpse of what he can do in that Rutgers game with the old Canadian connection with Veyu for that long touchdown pass, which was pretty cool to see. But, you know, we know, I think we know, even though Tinsley is new, I think we know a lot about the top three guys. But I think those those two guys in terms of, keeping everybody on their toes. If somebody gets banged up, you could just sl slide them right in, uh, get the rotation going. I think those those are two of the really key guys to the offense in terms of uh, just keeping that thing clicking and, and, and giving Sean Clifford as many targets as possible. And if you can sell the run, which you really could not do last year, uh, yeah, to, to give you a little bit, uh, a little bit of uh, separation downfield, uh, I just feel like last year um, – you know, it, it, there was really play action. It just wasn't working. Nothing was working in terms of trying to sell anything out of that backfield. And I think from game one, like Jaywan Sider has not been shy about using freshmen. A couple of years ago, Devin Ford, Noah Kane were a big part of that week one plan. I think it was against an FCS opponent. But over the course of that first month, you saw Kane, Ford get opportunities, um, different reasons you saw that happen with Kevon Lee. I don't think out of anybody on this out of anybody on this coaching staff, Jaywan Slater is going to use those kid gloves, especially what we've heard about those young players. So to me, uh, that's kind of at the crux of this: is what are you going to get from from those two young running backs? Are you going to get that shot in the arm? Can the offensive line balance that out? And 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 I think Daniel made a great point: can the offensive line elevate those young runners? And can they do the same in turn? I guess before we switch over to, to recruiting. Final thoughts from each of you on kind of uh, what you're most curious about to see when this team straps it up uh, that Thursday night against Purdue. It's just something that you won't know until then. I just want to see if they can do a complete performance. Um, obviously, like I just want to see balance. That doesn't necessarily mean a 50-50 split where the running backs and with 30 carries, Sean Clifford has 30 pass attempts. But I think that last year at various points, kind of in the flow of the game, it felt like things were skewing too, too far one way, too far the other. Uh, I just want to feel this team get into a rhythm. You know, even if they even if these drives are ending in punts, you know, just kind of feeling that there's, you know, that there's a cohesive identity that's trying to be developed um, and that there's kind of a response to the defense and that things are are just kind of moving forward. I think that I want to feel a comfort from Sean Clifford out there. I want to feel a comfort in the way that Mike Yersich is is calling this game when we're out there at Purdue. 
What are you nuts, Daniel? <laughs> Come on. We want to see Nick Singleton, don't we? Isn't that what we want to see? I mean, I know the, the offensive line is key. Sean Clifford is key. They basically showed us nothing of Nick, Nick Singleton in the blue-white game. He had like one Gatorade player of the year. One carry at the goal line and returned a kick against against nobody. I want to see Nick Singleton. I don't care about the rest of it. Even listen, they're gonna start keep they'll probably start Kevon Lee. Uh, which is which is great, you know. You know, I have no problem with that going into a host, hostile environment and having a guy who's played a lot of football. But I can just tell you that I will bet you in 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 Ross Aid Stadium or wh- whatever they call that thing out of Purdue that when Nick Singleton takes the field, I will bet you there's going to be a rumbling in that stadium. I know there's going to be a rumbling throughout Pennsylvania. Uh, and listen, from what we're gathering. Nick Singleton, we may see him very early in that game. We may see him very, very, very early in that game, like on the opening kickoff. Uh, and I don't mean he, he'll be kicking off. He's not that good. He's not that versatile. But, yeah, I mean, come on. Doesn't everybody want to see Nick Singleton? And, again, I'm not saying he's the key to this whole team. He's one of the one of the keys. Can make the offensive line look better. You know, give Clifford some breathing room because he can, he can uh, you know, take things to distance. But, listen. The offensive line, great. Clifford, great. I want to see Nick Singleton because we've heard nothing but great things, and I, I think he's the real deal. I think he's the real deal. You've got this freshman just out of high school running back. You've got this sixth-year, 24-year-old quarterback and somewhere in between everybody else uh, going to make up this offense. we got a lot to talk about with the offense and write about with this offense in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, plenty of coverage up at lines247.com, including some VIP notes on Monday. We just want to take some time here on the podcast. We'll take a focus uh, on defense, work our way through some positional units uh, later in the week, and, of course, uh, plenty more in-depth on the site. Mark, Daniel, appreciate it. I'm going to get over to Tyler Calvaruzzo and some recruiting right now, but I'll see you back at Beaver Stadium a little bit later today. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so later on, we're going to get in for what will be our final non-game week uh, availability with Penn State. Again, you get a chance to hear from James Franklin. J1 Sider is due up, the running backs coach. I believe P.J. Mustafer as well. So an opportunity a little bit later this evening at Beaver Stadium on Tuesday night. Uh, be sure to check things out online, 247com A few recruiting notes to get into before we wrap this episode up. And to do that, we'll bring back on Tyler Calvaruzzo, who we haven't heard from for a couple weeks. And that's a long time in the recruiting world. So what's up, TC? Man, last time I was on, they they didn't have a quarterback in the class. Now I'm back and they got one. So I've missed out on a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And and he's he's been on the podcast since you've been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, he was great. He was awesome. Jackson Smolik, of course, if you missed that one last week, uh, not only did we focus a lot on him with our first episode, we had Elite 11 director Brian Stumpf on, Alan True from 24-7 Sports Recruiting Network, and then a couple days later, Jackson Smolik himself. How about we hear from you, though, um, your take on, on a move that I know you were anticipating 
when last time we had it, we weren't sure how the timing would, would sort out, but he was on board within 24 hours of that podcast episode. Now that it's kind of settled in, what do you think about the summer transaction at quarterback for Penn State? No, it goes back to what I've been saying pretty much since Marcus Stokes decommitted and Smolik popped onto the radar. It kind of felt like if he was going to get an offer, it was going to be inevitable that he was going to wind up at Penn State. And that's what ultimately played out. And, you know, I've had plenty to say about Smolik as a player. I think Brian Stump did a great job breaking down what Smolik is, what he brings to the table. The difference between Smolik and Marcus Stokes, which aligned with a lot of what I've had to say on that topic. So that was nice to hear. And, but yeah, I, I think Penn State got the right guy in the, in the situation. You know, it's not often that you get the chance to rebound from losing a top 24 7 quarterback by going out and getting a kid who played better than that top 24 7 quarterback at the Elite 11. So I think Penn State has to be pretty pleased about what it accomplished post Stokes. Uh, Smolik is. He's a good player. And, you know, we're going to get to see a lot of who he really is throughout his senior season. I wrote it about a little bit. You know, there's a lot of competi good competition on his schedule this season. He has a chip on his shoulder to go out and prove that, hey, I could do it once the pads go on too. I'm not just a shorts and shirt guy. Once the pads go on, I'm about it. So I'm interested to see how his senior season plays out. I know a lot of Penn State fans are going to have an eye on that. But end of the day, bottom line, Penn State got its guy, and I think it's the right guy. Yeah, and you and I were talking, you know, within a few hours of that Stokes D commitment because it surprised both of us. And we came to the consensus, though, let's face it, it's Penn State. They are the level of program that they can look around college football. They can look around 2023 recruiting classes and they'll have an excellent chance to flip almost any of those quarterbacks out there. Obviously, you get you work your way up towards the upper echelon of college football. It's more of a challenge, but they found their guy here. Not a lot of people uh, had Jackson Smolik on their radar entering the summer. Now Penn State has him in the recruiting class. We spent a lot of time covering ground with Smolik. How about looking ahead just a little bit at quarterback? Because uh, there's there's been some noise around Jalen Bradford down at, uh, at IMG Academy. He's a guy, uh, Jaden Bradford, I should say. He's a top 24-7 quarterback in the next class for 24, uh, transferred down from South Carolina to IMG. If you follow IMG Academy, you know they have – kind of a power five quarterback carousel a year after year after year of guys who are going on to the elite 11, going on to play at the power five level. He's the next man up down there. And right now Penn state's in an enviable position. He got on the field last weekend and actually ended up in a, uh, kind of a, a battle with Penn state commit. Uh, it didn't work out too well for Elliot Washington in Venice, but it worked out pretty well from an individual standpoint, what Washington was able to show break down some of your takeaways from IMG's preseason opener. Yeah, so there's already so much going on with 2024 quarterback recruiting. And Bradford's are he's that he's pretty much at the center of it when you really just look at the board and look at who the top guys are already. He, he, IMG didn't get the chance to throw a lot. So we didn't get to see a lot of Bradford's arm talent that he has. They went up really early, so they just started running the ball, chewing up clock. And Bradford got the chance to shine there running the RPO. He ran for almost 100 yards. He got in the end zone. He didn't really throw Elliot Washington ways his way too much. Elliot Washington did a really good job dealing with five-star Ohio State receiver commit Carnell Tate. So I know that that's an encouraging little bit coming out of that. You know, not many balls thrown Washington's way, but he did get the chance to get his hand on a couple. So really strong night from him. But yeah, I, I just think you know we're gonna see what Bradford his arm talent and what he really is as a quarterback throughout the year because. One scrimmage where he didn't really get the chance to throw a lot. There's only so much you could take away from that. You take, you could obviously look at what he accomplished on the ground and say, hey, this is a guy who could hurt defenses in multiple ways. He's by no means a run-first quarterback, but oh, he can get you with his legs too. And he showed that against a pretty good Venice defense that features Washington, some really good guys on the defensive line. They got talent. You know, Venice, 
no slouch of a program. So what Bradford was able to accomplish on the ground says something. And he's going to be a name that me and you were talking about a lot just as the 2024 cycle progresses. He's going to be a top guy. Penn State has put itself in probably as good of a position it could be in right now. But it's still really, really early. I just want to reiterate that he wants to make a lot of visits. And that could be difficult given IMG's national schedule. So when these visits take place, we got to see. Because you know, it's really just a matter of when he's free and when he can hit the road. Penn State... Good spot right now, but he's going to be visiting programs like Baylor, Louisville, NC State, I think, is in a position to get a visit. So it's wide open right now. Penn State has put itself in, a, I don't want to say pole position, but they're up there right now. I know there's a crystal ball in there for Penn State. I'm nowhere near that. It's it's still pretty open. It's too open for me to make a prediction of any sort. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this is going to be a recruitment where Penn State's probably going to be in it till the end. And he's not the only 2024 quarterback who's in that ilk. You know, Penn State has really positioned itself well with a lot of guys early. Yeah, K.J. Jackson's one that that, that I, I caught up with not too long ago out of Alabama. You know, Michael Van Buren down in, in Baltimore, St. Francis, is a guy that, that's looking to get back up to Happy Valley. But uh, it feels like Penn State treating Bradford like a priority and Bradford treating Penn State like a priority, especially when you look at him making it a point to get up here and throw in front of Yersich uh, before that, that summer window closed and before he went yeah, back down to IMG right. to get ready for his season. So some important stuff happened uh, in, in that recruitment recently, and we will keep tabs on it, as you said. Now, the other side of that equation, obviously, Elliot Washington, they, they, they come up on the wrong side of the scoreboard. But again, he's matched up against one of the t- better wide receivers in this in this 2023 class. Uh, to your point, holds his own, breaks up a couple passes. I got some strong reviews uh, from Andrew Ivins, who, who was down there watching this matchup. And I think when you come out of it and, and people want to say, well, that's great to hear about Washington, but this is a Penn State commit playing ball in Florida. Is he actually going to be playing ball at Penn State next year? We've seen what happened with Stokes. We've seen what happened with Tamarian Parker. And this goes across the board for this defensive back class, Tyler. Get ready to hear about them all the time because people are going to say, are they still solid? Let's start with Washington, but extend that to Mack and Hussey because these guys, long distance commits, and we're still a long way from December. You know, it's funny when I wrote the little bit about how Washington played against Tate. Someone said, well, I'll be excited about the way he plays against guys like that once he signs. <laughs> I mean, I get that. You know, I get where people are coming from, especially after losing to Marion Parker. You see what Southern recruiting is like and how it's, you know, it's really a day-to-day thing. You got to stay on these guys. You got to work your butt off to make sure they stay in your class. I think with Washington, and I wrote about it yesterday, and I've said it on here too. I just think from what I've gathered asking around, he seems like he's just – He's really locked in on his senior season and going out on a high note more than he is recruiting now that he's committed. I mean, he went through so much throughout his recruitment, you know, with the early Alabama commitment. He decided it wasn't really what he wanted. He was pretty much a free agent for a while, you know, looking around, trying to find that fit. Michigan State was in the mix for a long time, and it ultimately wound up being Penn State doing large part to a really strong visit during the summer. Schools are still going to be calling on Washington, I'm sure. But, I mean, we're, we're talking about one heck of a prospect here in the secondary who could do a lot of good things in your defense. But it just it has the feeling that he's pretty locked in right now. He likes where he's at with Penn State, and he's going to be focused on the gridiron and not the recruitment. As for the St. Thomas Aquinas, do I, I mean, look, we've talked about it plenty with Conrad Hussey, programs like Miami, Oklahoma. He picked up an offer from Auburn. There are a lot of schools all over him, and it's going to be a fight to the finish. Same with King Mac, you know, Michigan State. I'm sure there's not going to be any sort of give up from them, given how close that they felt. That staff felt that it was very close at the end with Penn State. You know, that one really went down to the final week. There were multiple points where Michigan State pretty much felt like 
it was there or potentially overtaken Penn State. Obviously, it didn't play out, play out that way. Penn State got the commitment, but Michigan State and others are probably going to be in on Mac as well. And Dakari Nelson, you know, we're talking about the Florida guys. Dakari Nelson, an Alabama guy, he took a visit to Ole Miss. There are going to be programs on him. That's inevitable. He picked off a pass in his senior season debut. I mean, he's already picking up where he left off as a junior where he picked off eight passes. So there's going to be more interest for him as well. Penn State just really has to stay on these guys. And, you know, it sounds like being a dead horse saying that, but that's really all they could do. Like, they've laid out what their plans are for these guys already. They know how they're going to be used. They know what the staff wants out of them. You know, they've all been to campus. They, they know what it's like in Happy Valley. So now it's just a matter of the staff using that relationship that they have with those kids to their advantage and really locking them down and getting those signatures come December. Go, um, last week, I believe it was, going going into the weekend, you wrote about some of these guys getting back on the field, some commits that you were particularly excited to, to see back on that field and really could, who could produce huge senior seasons. And one of the guys who was on that list, and um, I don't know if he's if we have confirmation on where things are now, and uh, obviously this is a bit of a sensitive subject, but an injury popping up in the case of London Montgomery, um, a talented running back out of the state of Pennsylvania, looking to follow that in-state pipeline with guys like Journey Brown and Miles Sanders and Saquon Barkley, and now Nick Singleton. We've talked for a while, Tyler, about this probably needing to be a two running back class. Um, I don't know what you've confirmed to this point, but this certainly adds to uh, what feels like an imperative moment for Penn State on the recruiting trail to, to, to get some more things done at running back. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunate that there are some rumors going around that, you know, London suffered a pretty significant injury in a preseason scrimmage. We'll see what comes about with that. You know, neither of us are going to sit here and speculate without 100% confirmation. It just, just doesn't feel like the right thing to do. So we'll and see. And that confirmation yeah. could come by the time this, this airs. Exactly. As, so, of, as of right now, obviously not the news you want to hear about the running, a running back commit in, in late August. Yeah, it's not ideal. And look, I'm, we've talked so much about this potentially being a two running back class. It feels like adding another back. Now, if that injury is indeed serious, it becomes a bit more pertinent to get another back in that class. And there are some names that, are, that have been floating around even before this. You know, Brandon High, he's a high three-star kid from Texas. He's committed to UTSA right now. There's been some interest. He's talked to the Penn State staff. And I think he's a guy who's going to be monitored moving forward. You know, he might not necessarily be a guy Penn State – pushes for right now, but there's going to be a lot of eyes on him just as his senior season progresses. Another guy in Texas, Parker Jenkins. He's someone that I've raved about. I got the chance to cover him back when I was covering Boston College and Boston College offered him. I really, really like his game. He does a lot of good things out of the backfield. Penn State had reached out to him. I caught up with Jenkins over the weekend. He's 100% locked in with his commitment to Houston, and that goes beyond Penn State. It just seems like he's really content with that situation. So, Penn State, any other program that tries to get involved late with him, it seems like it's going to be one of those situations where, hey, best of luck to you because he's not really looking elsewhere. The other guy, Arkansas commit Isaiah Augustine. I, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. I'm sorry if I butchered that. But he, he's, uh, he's been hearing from Penn State, Florida State sniffing around as well. Another guy who seems pretty locked in with Arkansas right now, not necessarily flight risk, nothing imminent on him, but, you know, Another Florida kid where Arkansas is going to have to fight to keep him to the end. And Penn State is one of those programs that's probably going to be involved throughout. Um, I, I do want to get over to an upcoming announcement here from Kavion Keys. He did make that official visit up to Penn State earlier in the summer. That was one that we were eyeing up for a while. Um, you have reported on the site, and I believe during your most recent podcast appearance, that uh, University of North Carolina did a really nice job stabilizing things and kind of swinging that pendulum back during late portion of the summer. He's due to make an announcement this weekend. 
anything changed or do you still see him ending up as a Tar Heel? I do. You know, I finally got around to putting in that crystal ball pick that I've been talking about doing since June. I, I mean, you know, it, it's just a matter of I think North Carolina is going to win this one on Saturday. I think they're going to get the commitment over Penn State. Now, does that spell the end for Penn State? I think that's something we're going to have to see because this has been another recruitment where there's been a lot of bumps in the road, you know, a lot of different things going on that you maybe necessarily weren't expecting. You know, June looked like a month where Keys was going to pop to North Carolina. It didn't happen. He got to Penn State when a lot of people weren't sure if he was going to. Obviously, that visit was an impactful one. Now, can you get him back on campus in the fall? Yeah, I think that's something that's definitely in the cards, even if he does indeed commit to North Carolina this weekend. So it's going to be a recruitment that we're keeping our, our eye on moving forward. I don't think it's done. I don't think a commitment signals the 100% the end for Keys and Penn State, but it's kind of one of those wait-and-see things. you know. But Saturday, it's looking like he's going to be a Tar Heel. We have been playing wait and see with the defensive line. Yeah. Uh, Tamarian Parker obviously was a big loss. Uh, and, and over the course of this summer, a lot of guys came off the board. Uh, we've speculated about some potential targets, guys who could pop up. Uh, a name that has popped up for a few teams of late is Sam Green, another player out of St. Francis down in Baltimore. Uh, Penn State joining Boston College and Texas A&M. Um, and, and, and him reporting the offers out in the last few days. So, uh, take us into to this recruitment and and how Penn State may play a role moving forward. Yeah, it's funny you say wait and see. That uh, this is more wait and see. I think the Green's going to be a guy where I don't think any Power Five staff right now at this moment is really putting a full court press on him or saying, "Hey, look, we won't, you know you got to get in now." I don't think any of that's going on. I think there's going to be a lot of desire to see his senior year tape, and you know staffs are just going to be watching him to see what he puts together against some pretty good competition given St. Francis's national schedule. And, you know, he, um, late bloomer, you know, he he's had a good preseason. St. Francis was in New Jersey for a scrimmage last weekend. And just, you know, it just goes to show you how deep of a program that is where a guy like Sam Green pops onto the radar this late in the cycle, just given how much talent that St. Francis has on his defensive line, Green really coming on late. He's going to be a name we're discussing. I'm not sure, you know, where he falls in the pecking order when it's all said and done. I still think he has to show some things, but, he, he, you know, this isn't going to be the last offer that goes out on the defensive line. So I feel like that's um, the best way to put it right now. You know, we just have to see because well, what's the tape going to look like at the end of the day? I know a lot of people want to know about the offensive line. I think that's probably a conversation we can save for next time. And and, and as things pop up, uh, you'll be addressing them on lines247.com. Uh, but there are a few names of uncommitted players that that before we wrap up this conversation, I just wanted to throw your way. And, and if you kind of take the temperature on where things are, uh, these guys are at different stages of their recruitments and different levels of recruitments. But Edwin Joseph, uh, the wide receiver from down in uh, Florida at Hollywood, Shamanan Madonna, uh, Zion Tracy, uh, the the prep cornerback who uh, came to campus and lit it up with his 40-yard dashes in July. Uh, and then the other I want to think it was Roderick Pre Pleasant. He's a top 100 prospect, one of the premier cornerbacks in this 2023 recruiting class, came up with a pick six uh, last week, getting his senior year yep. underway. Um, and he's a guy all the way out there in, in Southern California, Penn State continues to be part of that peripheral when you look around with his recruitment. Yeah, just starting with Pleasant. I mean, Terry Smith deserves a ton of credit for what he's been able to accomplish with Pleasant and just earning his trust. I mean, he almost single-handedly has Penn State in this recruitment. You know, the staff overall has done a really good job with Pleasant. And, you know, even the fact that it's even in the discussion to receive an official 
is, is pretty significant. I think they're going to get the, that his last official when it's all said and done, based on what I've been hearing. I think that is going to come to fruition for Penn State. But without Terry Smith, I'm not sure Penn State's really even in this thing. He's just developed such a great relationship with Pleasant, his family. They have a good connection. So, yeah, you mentioned that he got off to a strong start, pick six for Junipero Serra. And, you know, he, he's going to have a big senior year. I really feel like he just he made his debut on a 24-7's freaks list today. And this kid is one of the fastest players in the country. And he's not just a track kid. He's a cover guy. He's got some good ball skills to him. He's a little bit on the smaller side, but he plays on the outside. And you saw what he could do with that pick six. He, he's a dude, man. He, he's worthy of his ranking. So we'll see By what the happens. Way, you, mentioned the, you mentioned the freaks list. I, I didn't. So yeah. I did want to mention two Penn State commits on that freaks list, which, which is out today. It's up on. We have a, a write-up up on our site at Lions 24-7. 50 of the top freaks of the 2020 recruiting class – uh, 2023 recruiting class, I should say, and a couple commits there. Javen Williams, offensive lineman, uh, and then additionally King Mack, who we just mentioned down at St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, one of the top 10 safeties in America by 24-7 sports assessment. So uh, just a couple notes there I wanted to, to put out there. No, yeah. I mean, those guys, you know, they're 100% deserving of that praise. I mean, they're freaks, man. We see we see them. I mean, Williams is so athletic for a guy his size. And King Mack, I mean, we've talked about his speed on multiple episodes here. But just moving beyond Pleasant, Edwin Joseph and Zion Tracy, you could kind of mention them in the same sentence because they're kind of similar in terms of where they're at on the board at their respective positions. You know, they both really like Penn State. Zion Tracy's quotes, his post-camp quotes were pretty telling of where he's at in terms of his interest in Penn State. They're at the top of his list. And I've said time and time again that I feel pretty confident that if Penn State wants Tracy, they're going to get Tracy. And I'm starting to kind of feel the same way with Edwin Joseph. He's really high on Penn State. He's made other visits throughout the summer, but he's looking to get to Penn State in the fall. He's really excited for that trip. And I, I think he's kind of starting to make a move in terms of where he stands on the board just – there's a good chance he's the top guy left at the position right now. And if Penn State is going to add another receiver, I know that is something that we actually did talk about the last time I was on, the viability of adding another receiver or, you know, gearing up for a bigger 2024 class. I think if Penn State decides that, hey, let's get another guy this cycle, I feel like there's a good chance Joseph is the guy. It's either going to be him or a name that we're not really privy to right now, you know, a late bloomer, just someone who who pops onto the radar late, maybe a flip, who knows. But Joseph's put himself in a good spot. He, he's geared up. He's another guy who's geared up for a pretty big senior year. Had himself a good offseason, added speed, got stronger, good hands, a lot to like there. I think Penn State's taking a really, really close look on him. And in those first few games of his senior year, there's going to be a lot to evaluate in that tape. Tyler, before we get out of here, uh, obviously Mark, myself, and Daniel are, are kind of buckling up, strapping in for, for the season ahead and, and all the game coverage and, and week by week. Can you give our listeners kind of an indication of what your coverage will look like? Because it's the first time we've we've had a recruiting reporter who's you know not here on campus. And let's face it, there's not a lot of top high school football matchups to get to within range of this campus. So what will you be doing on these upcoming weekends? Yeah, so I'll be on the road. You know, I'm really excited just to get that opportunity to go out and see these guys. It was something that I always wanted to do at the Boston College site that I didn't really get the chance to do a lot of because I had to focus so much on team stuff. Now that I'm just zoned in on recruiting, I'm going to be doing a lot of that. And I'm really, really hyped for it. So I'm looking at this week, you know, week zero in New Jersey. Malik Washington, 2025 quarterback. We've talked about plenty from Archbishop Spaulding. He's coming to New Jersey. They're going to be playing Don Bosco on Friday night. So I'm going to look to get out there. Saturday, I'm going to see if I can make it down the shore. Well, not down the shore, down the deep South Jersey, down to Ocean City. 
That's right. See, yeah, <laughs> battle at the beach. You know, there, there's a lot of good talent there. St. Peter's Prep is going to be out there. Red Bank Catholic, you know, 2024 wide out Emmanuel Ross. He's high on the board, so that's going to be a guy I want to see. So, yeah, I mean, we're really just getting into it now. Week zero is just kind of, you know, the appetizer for what I'm going to be doing throughout this year. I'm going to be at a lot of games. I'm really excited to get out to see these kids, get out and see these programs, you know, get guys who maybe aren't on the radar right now, some exposure as well beyond just, you know, kids who are Penn State's going after. So, yeah, man, it's going to be good. There's going to be a lot of good content coming out of it, and I'm really excited about where we're headed with that. Any chance you get to go cover some high school football in Cape May County, New Jersey, you get there. I hope you get to Ocean City. Uh, don't hear about people venturing that south in my home state very often to go find some prospects, but it uh, makes me happy to hear. Hey, man, always appreciate it. You're doing killer work up at lines247.com. I think all of our readers know that. If you're curious about what the VIP situation is, uh, go take a look right now. $1 for one month. You can get 30% off for an annual subscription. Tyler's going to be a big part of our plans moving forward, including, as he said, road coverage on the recruiting trail throughout the season. We'll talk to you real soon, man. Yep, looking forward to it, man. All righty. Well, hey, fun time with my colleagues today on this edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We had Tyler, Daniel, Mark, of course, Lance Glenn behind the scenes getting it done as our producer. We're back in Beaver Stadium in a few hours from now for a Tuesday evening media session. Not going to get a peek at practice today. We will get to hear from James Franklin. Uh, Jay one Sider, the running backs coach, got a lot to talk about with him. And then P.J. Mustafer, now a few weeks back into his return to the practice field. How's he feeling? What is his thoughts on this defensive line that's coming together ahead of the week one matchup at Purdue? We're back a little bit later with some conversations on this Penn State defense. We'll start to look ahead towards the matchup against the Boilermakers. That's all coming your way right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.